What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by my friends at Skybox Sports Picks. Who are Skybox Sports Picks? They're the world's best handicapping site. Skybox Sports Picks is the creator of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that's been refined through years of wisdom and experience. It's been tested, fully proven. These guys are crushing it on March Madness right now. Go check them out at Skybox Sports Picks. Dot com. They've got a daily pass, 10 bucks. You've got a special March Madness package going on if you want to get in on that for the Final Four. They're absolutely crushing it on NASCAR right now. They were up 14 units as of a week ago. I need to check back with Rob, but they're absolutely crushing it. You can buy a weekly NASCAR package, four weeks, four weeks all sports package. I would recommend going ahead and buying the full season package. It's going to pay off in the end. I can promise you that. Go check these guys out. Skybox Sports Picks. Com. If you use the promo code RIPPY, you'll get 20% off any purchase you make. They have a package for you. They will guide you to profit. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. We're having him on the podcast on Friday. I just ruined my own teaser by putting this out, out front, but who cares? Go check him out. He's got specials going on. We've still got the same Special from last week, if you're a subscriber to the podcast, free pound of ribeye sausage and a $10 prime strip. Go show him the promo email I sent two weeks ago or your automated sign-up email, and he'll get you hooked up. Go check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. It's grilling season. LB's is the best place to get meat. They've got all kinds of stuff going on. Lane Train special, Keith Carter special, 8- and 10-ounce fillets, bacon-wrapped fillets, that is. All kinds of delicious sausage bringing the plate lunches back. Go see Greg. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We've got a packed show today. So let's go. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Wednesday. I am Brian Scott Rippey. On the other end of the line, as actually is not as he always is, Colin usually doesn't join me in the midweek, is Colin Brister. We're moving some stuff around. Um, I'll get to the schedule in a minute. I'm the worst podcast teaser of all time. But we're going to get into – this will basically be our Florida preview podcast. We'll get into some Ole Miss spring football as well. Colin and I both had stuff going on on Wednesday and Thursday. So we figured we would just go ahead and knock this out. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. I'm going to get LB's Greg. Uh, I might tell him to pour a couple of stiff drinks and then knock out some mailbag questions with people. There you go. So that's what hey, op- looks like. What's up, dude? Opening day is Thursday. Are you excited? I, I am. You know what's crazy is – so I knew it was this week. And for some reason I had read – you know sometimes when you like not are really locked into something and you read something, whether it be on Twitter or just in passing, and it's like, okay, that, that's in fact – like a week ago I read – they're going to kick their starting next Friday. And I think it was a piece I read about some guy's availability for the Reds or something. I think I was sure. reading Alex Lost, Mark Sheldon. So I just had it in my mind that it was Friday. And, I, you know, we, we've talked about this before. You and I are both Cubs fans. I kind of grew up a Cubs fan. Once I got into this business and this industry, and particularly working in Major League Baseball for the very, very short time that I did, like I lost like the whole like emotional connection. And maybe it's just because the Cubs finally got it done and it peaked. So I don't have like a team to follow. I like baseball, yeah. the sport. So I was in my like I. This is a long, convoluted way of saying I thought opening day was Friday until I literally got an email from my actual job today 
that said, if you're in the office on Thursday, feel free to wear your favorite team's jersey. Like, it's opening day. Let's celebrate. And I was like, oh, it's not Friday. I'm going to celebrate by watching the games. Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's in this home. See, I'm the same way with the Cubs. Like, I, I don't really care anymore. And then I, I had an emotional attachment to Clayton Kershaw, and then he won the World Series. So it's not that's not even really there anymore. So I'm just kind of enjoying baseball now. That's a great point. We're both in the same boat in that sense. Where okay, the Cubs finally did it. And you talk about, you know, I, I've always maybe I'll actually have Neil on or something if he'd ever be willing to do it. Um, I would love to talk to Neil McCready about this is, you know, we all were Cubs fans. I'd say the peak of my Cubs fandom was actually before the world series. Like that first year they got good. The fifth, was it 15? Yeah. The Schwarber hits the ball over the scoreboard, the game, the wild card game in Pittsburgh. I would say that was the peak emotional attachment. And to be completely honest, I would say that's the last time I've actually gotten emotionally attached to any sort of team in any sort of sporting event. Since I'm, I'm serious, it's, it's honestly kind of sad. <laughs> but like that 2016 year was awesome. Don't get me wrong, I still like followed the Cubs closely, but it was like, all right, I, it's been a while since they've been good. Like, I already feel that, like, let's finish this off. And of course, the playoffs and everything were awesome. Don't get me wrong, but I would say the actual peak of hanging on every game came then. But like, I would love to talk to Neil about this. Is like, it happened, and the Cubs have acted in such like a chicken shit way ever since. I mean, look at what they're doing with Anthony Rizzo right now. It's yeah. kind of a huge turnoff. I don't know your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I mean, it. They're, they're act, the Rickets are acting like they're broke and they're not broke. It absolutely is a turnoff. Um, you know, I mean, they're not going to pay Chris Bryant. I doubt they pay Javi Baez. They've already let Schwarber walk or released him, whatever. I, yeah, you know, I mean, they're not committed to winning. And, you know, they, they won their title and erased the curse, so good on them. But it uh, just kind of felt like a dynasty that could have been that never was because, I mean, what they, they – Losing the playoffs this year in the first round, uh, they miss it the year before. They lose in the wild card game the year before. Um, they never then seventeen. They don't even really fight the Dodgers. I mean, I think it was four to one, but it was three zero. The you know, so it just kind of feels like something that you'll look back on and say, yeah, they want to kind of like the Braves, right? In the nineties, you'll say, yeah, they, they won a World Series, but man, it, it could have been so much more. Yeah, I agree, and I think you're just seeing so much of that in baseball. My old radio colleague, Michael Borky, was big into that, talking about, like, baseball's popularity problem, and I don't necessarily even believe it is, like, a popularity problem. For, like, the casual viewer, though, when you read all these stories, they're like, wait, how many teams are trying to win this year? It's really just kind yeah. of stuck to the sport. I mean, the, I mean, I don't know. I doubt we have hardly any Cincinnati Reds fans listening to this, but if there are, I mean, they've been dealing with this their entire lives. I mean, you talk about – uh, and and the, to make matters worse, the Bengals act the same way. Cincinnati sports fans which just got a rough go of it. But like, yeah. all these owners act like, and their families act like they're they're broke. And then you look at just the ridiculous profits they're bringing in. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, I've always, I've never known enough about this, the economics of the sport to decide whether baseball would would benefit from a salary cap. But I feel pretty certain at this point they would benefit from a salary floor. Salary floor, yeah, I don't know if you can do that, but I actually agree. There, um, so some other sports have a soft floor. If I'm not mistaken, in the in the NFL, you have to spend X amount of money on your roster. I could be wrong about that. Maybe it's the NBA. But there are salary floors in other sports. I, I, think, uh, I think baseball would do well to have that. I think every team should have to spend X amount of money because in a lot of instances, it's kind of getting stupid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just tanking. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I'm always excited by opening day, but like right – uh, by the middle of May, maybe at the beginning of June, it's just like, all right, the season's going to drag on for about three more months before I pay attention, you know, 
on a daily basis again. Yeah, and if there was ever a sport that hurt more from having kind of an abbreviated season and the pandemic and no fans being in the stands, I would say baseball hurt more than the other three. But uh, anyway, that was our How to Fix Baseball segment. That's a uh, <laughs> July summer radio statement staple around the trade deadline where training camp hasn't started yet and every single blowhard sports radio host is like, nothing else? Let's fix baseball today. Anyway, speaking of baseball, we'll actually get into the baseball that you tuned in for right now. This is basically going to be our Florida preview because Ole Miss did not play a baseball game on Tuesday night uh, because of inclement weather. State, I believe, canceled their game as well. Uh, what the hell is going on back in Mississippi? We've had some rain out here, but but you guys have had a rough go of it. Not even, it's not even raining. Weather. It's not even raining where I'm at, so I don't know. Uh, maybe it's raining 70 miles to the north. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting they were going to start Drew McDaniel. Yeah, so I texted you about that this morning when the game notes came out. And a lot of times they come out the day before, and this was the second week in – no, not the second week in a row, maybe second and third weeks. Whenever they had the controversy with – not controversy with Diamond, uncertainty about what they were going to do with Doug and all that. They right. Game notes out the morning of. The LaTeX COVID deal is what I was thinking of. Sure. Was that last week? Uh, no, two no, weeks no, ago. that was two weeks ago. I was about to say, wow, that would really fraud my brain. They put it out the morning of, and they did that with this one, and it was going to be Drew McDaniel. And, you know, I, I think we both kind of had the same thought where, but my initial thought was, okay, probably a bullpen day, and you see three guys throw four, three innings or whatever it is. I, I don't think three guys could throw four innings unless something went wrong. <laughs> if three guys threw four innings tonight, uh, Mike Bianco's head might have exploded. Uh, yeah, given the stakes of this game, this was the revenge game. They this is the revenge game. It was a huge revenge game. You know, Ole Miss has never beaten North Alabama since it's become a D1 program. Facts. You know who has beaten Ole Miss? <laughs> North Alabama. North Alabama. <laughs> North Alabama is undefeated all time. Is it like, I don't know their manager's name, but does he have Mike Bianco's number? I, many people are asking. <laughs> uh, do you remember anything about that game? Yeah, I do. I do. I actually do a decent bit. That was one of the stranger baseball games I've ever covered, and particularly at the end of that run. So I was at the tail end of grad school in 19. And yeah. at that point, you know, I mean, I had a full-time job. I was working full-time with Super Talk. And so I wouldn't say I would always ditch class to, like, if there was a baseball or work conflict. But with the way the program was going, I was basically done. It wasn't, like, a huge deal if I kind of sure. missed something. But I got to that game and got about four innings in. I was like, I think I'd rather be in class. <laughs> I uh, like you had something to say there as far as the, the way that game went. Yeah, all I remember was Max Chofi started. Um, Ole Miss didn't really hit. And it was statistically, like, not, you know, from impact-wise, but statistically the worst loss of Mike Bianco's career. Yeah, I think we that, actually found that out RPI-wise that it actually was. It had to have been. That team was – I wish I, – I should look this up. Why the hell not? We have time. Yeah, it definitely was statistically the worst RBI loss. And if I remember correctly, without having this box score pulled up off the top of my head, it was one of those deals where North Alabama got up early because Ole Miss kind of gift-wrapped them a bunch of – the classic midweek lethargic, here's a four spot just to make things interesting because we walked a bunch of dudes and don't trust the guy we have out there pitching. And then it kept getting to like the fifth and sixth, and it was like, Oh, they're still scoring. Like, what, what? what's going on here? And then by the time the seventh or eight happens, I was like, I think this game's over. Like, <laughs> yeah, because Ole Miss went into the ninth down 10 to four. They scored I, two I, in the ninth. 
That's right. So I, I remember standing out there with Chase and Nick Suss and someone else, and no one was really saying anything. And it's not because it, everyone was, like, overly shocked. It was kind of like, oh, whatever. But then, like, Mike gets – like, he looks like he's wrapping up with the radio. And I was like, does anybody have a question for Perry? Like, what do you, what do you ask about this? So, yeah, so as Alabama gets up 2-0 in the second, Ole Miss ties it. They go up 4-2. And then it gets to 5-4. And then North Alabama, excuse me, not to disrespect the Hornets, I think these guys are. No, they're like the Lions or some shit. I'm just left and right. Just kept scoring. The, uh, the, sixth, the eighth inning, they scored – a run to make it 8-4, 9-4, 10-4. And I, that was the point where it was like, this is this is over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how was Mike after the game? I think I, I don't remember. I should have, honestly, if I was going to make the revenge game joke, I should have gone back and watched the video that I had from that night. <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think he was wrong. I think he was just so dazed as to, like, I don't understand this team. How did this happen? Because you got to remember, this game happened on April 2nd. And what you really need to realize is this was in between a road series win in Fayetteville and a sweep in of Florida. So that's how bipolar this team was. Right. And you can remember that after the kind of the crappy non-conference stretch at the end of it where they go get just blasted by Louisville before SEC play starts. Yeah. You just can't figure really figure this team out. To your point, like you were saying, you thought they had turned a corner, and then it was like, I don't understand this result. Um, Connor, here's the pitching lineup that day. You ready for this? Sure. Maxwell Chofi, Connor Green, Houston Roth, Taylor Broadway, Austin Miller, and Zach Phillips. Am I wrong in that they ripped up Taylor Broadway? They ripped up Chofi, and you mean ripped up? Broadway allowed two runs on three hits in an inning. He wasn't good. It's not he, great. No, no, not great. He and Roth allowed the same stat line. Um, but boy, Max Chofi allowed five runs and two of them were earned. I think Ole Miss, yeah, Ole Miss had two errors in this game. I, I remember them both being really costly. This is probably the most in-depth breakdown this game will ever have. This will probably be the most first time anyone will ever revisit this game, but it made me chuckle no, because last week no. State threatened to score like 40 on these dudes, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> now, let me tell you, uh, the message boards were not happy after this loss. There, there were breakdowns in this game. It's because they had had, uh, like, a couple of duds in between. But you're right. They back into series at Arkansas. They have – remember, they lost two or three at Memphis the week before. Or at Missouri. Yeah, seriously, Missouri. They had won the midweek game against Memphis. Back into series at Arkansas. They lose to North Alabama and sweep Florida in games in which they scored 12, 16, and 12 runs. Scored <laughs> six on North Alabama. And then lost two or three at home to a Kentucky team that sucked. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. That team was insane. That team was insane because they followed up. They lose two out of three in a really crappy game the way the game ended at Auburn the next week and then swept yeah. <laughs> This was fun. Insane. Was the they, they won two in Baton Rouge and then come home and look lifeless against Mississippi State. Yeah, I, you're exactly right. And then the, the Baton Rouge game was that 1915 game, which is still maybe the craziest sporting event I've ever covered. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's a, I, honestly, I, I might go back in a year or two and let it, I need to let this fester a little bit, but I might just go get gray and all those dudes and just be like, what hey, happened? March 5th until like May 15th, 
What happened? Can you just give me can you just give me like, like ten words or less? May seventeenth was the day they lost seven to five at Tennessee. And I don't remember what their record was at the time. I guess I can pull it up here. I wonder It was fifteen and fourteen in the SEC. That is correct. And it, it, it may as well have felt like seven and twenty or whatever <laughs> that seven and twenty, whatever seven and twenty two. It was yeah. bizarre. Honestly, I may go talk to them because they never really like you know, it ended on such a positive note. They never really like that was never really harped on. Um, yeah, he would have been harped on more if it had ended like we thought. Mike gets canned, all that. Like, I, I would just may want to go talk to them and just be like, hey, like, can you write? Like, I mean, you don't even have to answer questions. Can you write it down? What were your thoughts during these two months? But oh man, and now uh, you got to think about it. They were supposed to play North Alabama and then play Florida. Uh, you know, like this week, just like they were two years ago. So. What a coincidence. That's a great point. Mike, Mike knew that his team might be looking ahead to Florida, so he canceled the North Owl game. I like that theory. I could squat on that take. And then – and then, and Florida looks primed to be swept, which I guess is as good a transition as any into an action. Speaking of, let's see how they're doing. That took 20 – it took 25 minutes to get into. Ole Miss plays Florida this weekend in a Thursday-Saturday series. A classic Easter weekend deal. I think they give all the clubs the option to host Thursday, Saturday um, on Easter weekend, if I'm not mistaken, because there has been years where Ole Miss has actually played on Easter Sunday. Yeah. But Ole Miss goes down to Gainesville. Florida is coming off being swept on the road at South Carolina and kind of being thoroughly popped in every single one of those games. Uh, I'll just kind of open the floor to you. Initial thoughts on uh, these games. Florida's rotation since they've entered SEC play. Um, has not been as good as advertised. One of those kids had a really good start against A&M, but they can't hit. But outside of that, their rotation has not been not been swell, I would say, um, for no. the SEC year. No, it's – so Florida, you know, I watched them against Miami two games. Wasn't impressed. Um, Tommy Mace came to Oxford two years ago. Look, Tommy Mace is going to be a first-round pick. Um, Can I say impressed. something, though? I know he was a freshman when he came to Oxford, I guess, right? It had to be. Yeah. Well, no, he was a sophomore. He's a junior last year. Okay, so he's a he's a he's a COVID junior. Yes. Gotcha. So I I thought he was fine, honestly. I, yeah. you, know, you heard a lot of hype going in. I wasn't in terms of just blow you away with the stuff. I and everything else that kind of comes with, like when Alex Lane came to Oxford or whatever. Right. Holy hell, this guy. Name your guy throughout the last half decade. I, I did not get that sense from Tommy. E- even Casey Myers, who almost ripped up, I watched it and I was like, yeah, I see that. Exactly. And even um, – I'm trying to think of – A&M's had a couple kids where Ole Miss has actually fared well against him. The kid from uh, Missouri a couple years ago where Ole Miss kind of Howell. beat him to host. What was his name? Tanner Howell. Yeah, like that guy, you could see it. I, uh, I, I'll be honest, I didn't see that. No, I I don't in Mason. I think Ole Miss will have some success on Thursday. Frankly, I think Ole Miss wins on Thursday. I think they lose on Friday because I really like like Jack Leftwich that Florida is going to throw on Friday. Um, And I like Doug, obviously. But I think Leftwich is a pretty good matchup for Ole Miss. And then Barco on Saturday uh, in what, you know, I think will be a a, a series-deciding game. I think Derek Diamond's better. I don't really believe in the Barco kid, Uh, you know, that he's you don't make Florida's rotation as a freshman by accident, um, but there's just some things at, at South Carolina leaving pitches up, falling behind in counts that, that I didn't really like. Um, that'll probably get him probably get him hurt, uh, you know, offensively by Ole Miss uh, if you know 
he leaves pitches up and doesn't get ahead and counts because I think Ole Miss is a better offense than South Carolina. Uh, Florida's not deep in the pen. They rely on Alamon and Christian Scott, who are really good, but uh, O'Sullivan just wears them down. So um, I think Ole Miss is better on the mound. I think Ole Miss is better at the plate. Um, playing down there is tough. I think I'm going to say Ole Miss wins too. Um, but in saying this, and this is where you talk about a little margin for error, right? If Ole Miss doesn't win what I think is a rubber game on Saturday, you come home and you're still seven and two, and, and, and that's plenty fine. Would agree with that wholeheartedly, which is just the value of two sweeps. Ole Miss could go down and lose a series this weekend in all likelihood. I say in all likelihood, they only got a game up on Arkansas. They could still be in the driver's seat in the SEC West. Not that that matters at this point. The seven and two number is far more significant despite losing a series. And to your point, Leftwich was the one that had the good start against A&M. And he got I, – I, I say, I didn't watch – obviously did not watch South Carolina, Florida last Saturday. But he doesn't make it out of the fifth. He gives up three runs, three earned runs on four hits, had a couple walks, five strikeouts. Seemed like kind of one of those things where it didn't just go his way, just looking at it on the surface in a couple of the yeah. innings at this before he got out. But before that, he, you're talking about a stretch where he'd been pretty lights out. Granted, two of those opponents are Florida A&M. Jacksonville, and then you have A&M who can't hit. But uh, he's pretty good. I would say – I would actually uh, – if we want to go ahead and get the picks out of the way, I'm going to say Ole Miss wins two of these as well because I like their matchup against Tommy Mace as well on Thursday. And it's not like they're significantly undermatched at all on Friday and they're as hell, gonna sure as oh, hell no. have an advantage on the mound on Sunday. No, I think personally uh, Ole Miss is better on the mound all three days. I just think against Ole Miss – because like – you, you do the thing Doug Nikhazy and, and Jack uh, Leftwich are going to pitch against each other. It's like, well, yes, but Doug Nikhazy likely isn't going to grab a bat. So it's uh, Jack Leftwich against Ole Miss's lineup. And I think Leftwich's stuff plays against Ole Miss. He's not, gonna, he's not a guy that's going to overpower you with velo. He's a guy that, you know, induces a lot of soft contact. He strikes out right around eight, of, eight, in, or eight over nine innings. Uh, whereas I think Ole Miss has some success against guys that are power pitchers, like a Mace. Um, so I think it, the, the worst matchup for Ole Miss's lineup, and look, I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope they light, light Leftwich up. But I do think the worst matchup for them is on Friday. So if you tell me, hey, Ole Miss is going to lose one game this weekend, I think I'm pretty confident I would pick Friday night. Fair enough. And another good thing for Ole Miss coming out of this, Florida's top two relievers in their closer. Well, I say good news because I'm so used to talking about, like, seeing a right, like right-handed lineup, I would say lineup, right-handed pitching staff and being like, okay, good news for Ole Miss. But uh, I guess uh, what I'm trying to say is, despite Ole Miss having better numbers against left-handed pitching that just kind of torpedoed the point in my head before I got it out of my mouth, <laughs> Florida's top two relievers in their closer all throw with their right hand. Yes. Um, Alamon is, is, is really good from a stuff standpoint. He's had some issues with control this year. Uh, Christian Scott is a guy that, that uh, O'Sullivan doesn't mind throwing uh, three or four innings at a time. Um, so he could be a guy like, hey, uh, you know, Tommy Mace goes 5.1 innings and is up three to two. He could be the guy that, you know, uh, Lowe Sullivan tries to let finish out the game. Kind of like Ole Miss does with Broadway, but I do feel like Mike tries to get deeper into the game uh, before he goes to Broadway. Frankly, uh, I think Ole Miss is, is an ex – I'm not going to say extreme favorite. Uh, I think Ole Miss would be pretty heavily favored on for, on Thursday night. I mean, Gunnar Hoagland is is beyond Tommy Mays, and Ole Miss's lineup is better than Florida's. Look, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the baseball game, but if I'm setting a betting line, I, I, I'm pretty, you know, I'm leaning towards Ole Miss heavily on Thursday. 
It's interesting looking at these team offensive numbers in the Southeastern Conference that you're very surface level numbers. These offenses are very comparable. I think Ole Miss does a better job of being opportunistic and particularly definitely getting on base. But they're both around around in the same number of the home run total. You've got – what two teams would you guess have four home, like 40-plus home runs on the year as far as the SEC? Um, South Carolina? It's actually LSU and Arkansas. Wow. Uh, yeah, Arkansas was going to be my second guess. So, I just knew South Carolina has the guy that leads the nation in homers, so I was just going to take a guess. So, so, so everyone else is kind of in the low 30s, Mark. Ole Miss at 31, Florida 30. You know, A&M even has 33, South Carolina 33. And then you've got a group that's like low, low 20s, Kentucky, Georgia. That kind of makes sense. Uh, the fighting Missouri Tigers have 16. Oh, God. They're horrible. Like, what, and I know everybody does, oh, Missouri sucks. No, I think, like, this is a special Missouri sucks here. Like, 3-27 and 27 suck. Do you know they're uh, – and I, I, I'm not saying, again, I'm not a huge batting average guy. I think most – even the average baseball fan is kind of graduated I graduated beyond that. Statistic. Sure. Do you know what Missouri's team batting average is this year? Oh, God, 212. Okay, you you were really down on them. They're 239, but th- oh. for complete context, the second worst is Alabama at 265. Good grief! That that their OP on base percentage is three forty two. Okay, I'm gonna present something. Vanderbilt, not Vanderbilt. Um, yeah, Vanderbilt doesn't play softball. You, you think there's a world where Missouri kind of soon just says, "No, we're done." Like we we they can't compete. Like even if they got one of the best coaches in America in there, they couldn't compete because you can't recruit there. Okay. So like, I hear you, but I two of the five years that I've sat at least – I know these off the top of my head. Two of the five years that I've sat there in one of those post-game pressers that doesn't matter, Ole Miss has played Missouri a couple of times in Hoover for whatever reason. Remember, to, in 2019, they got kind of a screw job that TCU got in a regional over them. And there's been one yeah. other instance in the last half decade. So, at least they've been on the doorstep. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. But I think Beezer there is a really good coach. Um, and if he's a really good coach and this is the product he's putting out, like, you you, you can't compete. Um, and that, that's that's one year out of, what, eight in the SEC that they almost made a regional? I don't know. I just, I just kind of think that if you're Missouri, you're just kind of wasting your time. Because, like, even Tennessee, right? Like, you look at Tennessee this year, they're in the bid to host a regional where Missouri can't even get in a regional. Agree, but there's a lot of – there have been a lot of lean years at Missouri. And, you know, remember it got to that point before – What's that cat's name that they're now? He drives a convertible, lives in a condo. He's like the Michael Scott of the SEC baseball. Um, what's his name? Wait, what are we talking about? Tennessee's baseball manager. Oh, Vitello? Yeah, I read a feature on him a while back. So it's like, yeah, this is a single dude that drives around this, like, bright convertible and lives in some condo or something. And, and I don't know. He's, like, in his mid-40s kind of living the uh, Michael Scott lifestyle is what the article made it sound like. I think it was a D1 piece. Kinda Before he got there, there were a ton of lean years there. And I remember reading a lot of Kendall Rogers at D1 before they made that hire. And not that he's, like, the all-encompassing opinion on ba- uh, baseball, but he's been around it a long time. I mean, they do great work there. And he was kind of the point where it was like, this job just kind of sucks with the way what Vanderbilt's become. Yeah. No, that's that's true. But – there's, there's, I feel like you can recruit Atlanta kids to maybe come to Tennessee, and I don't even know their, their roster dynamics. You can't recruit a kid from Fulton County to travel to Columbia, Missouri. 
Like, not not one that has offers. I, I just feel like the weather up there, and, and it's not really like this in many other sports. I just feel like the weather up there does them such a disservice compared to the weather pretty much anywhere else in the SEC. Yeah, you're completely correct about that. I uh, Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it was, it was like that way in football. And, like, not that this really matters for kids. And I thought Columbia, Missouri was a fine town, but it does not feel like the rest of the SEC, which is kind of, I think, part of what you're trying to get at. It really just doesn't. I mean, how we were up there Friday night for a, a game, and uh, I, I can't remember which year this was, but every but single television and every single bar we were in was locked in on Cardinals baseball. And the same thing <laughs> was the case. I had to walk through Will Call to their baseball uh, – to their football – excuse me. I'm going to get it right eventually. Their basketball arena to go pick up my credential. And every single tent is watching Cardinals games. And I was like, when would you ever see that in the Grove? I get it's a different deal, but – Good God. I was trying to find yeah, right. hilarious stats here. Uh, Missouri has 752 at-bats on the season, which looks a lot less than most everyone else. They've scored 118 runs. Good God. They're the They're only team in the league that does not have at least 208 hits. Thanks for Kentucky. For It really should be closer to 230, but Kentucky's dragging ass. They have 180 hits. My favorite thing about Kentucky is that they're five and one in the league and are currently up four to three in the seventh on something called Bell Armin. No oh, idea what that is, but they're up one run in the seventh on them. That school is in their first uh, year of competing in D1 athletics. Uh, no, how about that? They're in Louisville. Uh, they went oh. to Duke earlier this year in basketball and I think played a pretty competitive game or something like that. I don't remember. Uh, but, yeah, that's a, that's a downtown Louisville school, if I'm not mistaken. How about that? Okay. Well, so, uh, this Kentucky. is hot off the rails. What are you looking for <laughs> this weekend from uh, the uh, mighty Ole Miss Rebels? I mean, you're 6-0. and oh, It's kind of hard to do, like, this whole, like, forecast preview thing. I imagine with no sure. midweek game, number one is the health of Hayden Dunhurst's thumb. Yeah, that it, it helps that he doesn't have to go today, right? And I, I doubt he would have called today anyways. But oh, you I was at zero chance. Knox yeah. is 100% catching against North Alabama. Absolutely. And, you know, so he, he gets three days off or four days off in between starts or whatever. And I don't know. I, I think, man, if you're just looking for things I'm looking for, I, I think, look, I don't think there's a whole lot of pressure on Ole Miss to win this series, right? Like, yeah, obviously you want to go down there and play good baseball and let the chips fall where they may. But I do think in terms of winning those series, there, there is, for kind of the first time all year, it feels like a good bit of pressure on Gunnar Hoagland. Like, you, you really don't want to start off down 0-1 down there uh, when you're a good bit better than the guy on the other side. And, look, Gunner's going to face some guys on, on Friday nights in the SEC that he's not always – look, Gunner's special. But he's not always going to be a, a lot better than the guy on the other side of the mountain. And while, look, yeah, Tommy Mason's a first-round pick, I get that. He, he's nowhere in Gunner Hogan's league right now. Um, you know, Kumar Rocker is. I think Landon Marceau at LSU is. Um, you know, so th th there's guys that are going to be on Friday night that are going to be able to match him. I don't think, like, this is one of those times. I, I think Gunner has for as much pressure as you can have this series, which, again, I don't think is a whole lot. I do think there is some on Thursday night for Gunner. That's probably fair. Get off to a good start, particularly since he kind of didn't have his, uh, you know, A-level stuff against Alabama. He was fine. I, we talked about kind of a couple – couple at least two of those solo shots. Too, and he got dinged for three solo shots against Alabama, and two of them off the top of my head were – seemed like scouting report home runs where they both jumped first pitch fastball and seemed to know exactly where it was coming. It's like the Bull Durham scene where he's like, 
I know he it seems like he knew that was coming. So he, he did. I told him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you buy anything into Gunner not going to Florida? Because first round pick usually doesn't get out of the state of Florida if they're considering going to school. Uh, I mean, it, I don't know anything about his recruiting process. I just do know that usually guys that are going in the first round uh, in Florida don't usually get out of there. That's a really good point. I, I, I don't know anything about it. That might be something interesting to dig into. And, you know, we've talked about this before, and I've talked about this with Chase a lot, that if the college baseball recruiting is quite literally impossible to follow, right? Sure. Like between, like, the lack of coverage, just kind of the gentleman's agreement when the kid committed and just the amount of kids dispersed across the country versus the pro aspect of it. Like, it, it's really hard to cover. But that's a really interesting point you bring up. I, I don't know. I mean, he – I know Mike hasn't necessarily brought in a lot of like slam dunk first round talents um, like Gunner was coming out of high school um, from Florida. But my best guess without knowing anything else is you remember how we talked about a couple podcasts ago, Gunner kind of came onto the scene late. Yeah. Do you think Mike just kind of had him committed early and not lucked into it, but kind of had already kind of the hay in the barn before that became a thing? Because I promise if Gunner, was, you know, high up on the perfect game radar in ninth or 10th grade, it may have been a different story. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. Um, you got to think, Doug. The other part of what I was going to say is Mike has brought in a ton of talent from Florida, just not like that. Yeah. Um, now, I will tell you, uh, I don't think Doug McKenzie was was recruited hard at, or at all by Florida. Um, you talk about a kid that picked up three to four miles of velo in his freshman fall at Ole Miss, and is that that's made him the pitcher that he is. I doubt a uh, I doubt O'Sullivan spent a whole bunch of time on him. Um, and I do recall, like, in a, in a season video before the Florida series in 2019, like, you could see Mike tell him, hey, don't don't get outside yourself. I know you're from Florida, and I know you're facing the hometown team. There may be a chip on the shoulder on, on Friday night when, when Doug takes them out. He admitted it in 19. I may include that in my newsletter tomorrow if I can go back and find the video. He's definitely talked about that before. I don't remember if we talked to Gunner about that, but I remember – Gunner did not pitch in the series against Florida in 19. It was the one weekend series that he missed. Was that a Zach Phillips game? No, it was Houston Roth started that that game. Gunner had just gotten ripped up in in Fayetteville, um, and he did not pitch that series. I remember Doug talking about that specifically. With regards to his recruitment to Florida – Maybe the boogers or the skateboard turned off O'Sullivan. I don't really know. But, <laughs> but in all seriousness, they, uh, uh, Doug Nikhazy did talk about that in 19. I'm sure it will be a little amped up. But if, if this, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I hadn't even thought about this until you just brought this up just now. But, like, I don't necessarily believe this. But, like, say Ole Miss goes, <laughs> goes and wins the first two games and both those guys shoves, like, you think O'Sullivan in the back of his mind that whatever he does after games is like, God damn it. Like, how in the world? How does that, that work? Especially when every single guy that's going to contribute for O'Sullivan's team is from the state of Florida. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, that would have to – I'm not saying he's actually going to care, but there's no way it doesn't enter the back of his mind like, oh, screwed up here. Well, yeah. I mean, if a, if a kid from this, like, you know, just hypothetically, if K.J. Jefferson from North Panola, 30 minutes away from Oxford and plays quarterback for Oxford, lights Ole Miss's defense on fire, yeah, like, that's going to bother me. So, I'm sure, yeah, that, that will bother Kevin O'Sullivan that uh, Ole Miss has, especially if they're 2-0 and after Friday, which that, that, that's a tall task. But it's, 
uh, yeah, that that would that would eat at him for sure. And if you look at Florida's pitching staff in their totality, um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say they could use both of those gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Real quick aside here, um, USC is a good basketball team, and, and Gonzaga is just dismantling them. This is Elite most just sucked. <laughs> It's just tearing them apart. It's so fun to watch. I know. We'll get to that. I had that. I had that uh, on our little like pre uh, pre uh, pre show lineup where I just write down random stuff on a notepad. But I, I have a I have a theory on this and a reason why. But I think we know the okay. national title game uh, already, and I think we've known it for a while. And it just be kind of became a weird COVID year. And we don't want to admit it. Um, anything else on this series? Like I, I you got. Hayden Dunhurst thumb. I think if you see him in the lineup at catcher on Thursday night, that's a, a pretty big sigh of relief. Um, if you don't, let's just play this out for a minute and flesh this out. If you don't, I mean, I say flesh this out. There's really no other option with the Calvin Harris situation. It's it's Knox Laposter has Leposter, a yeah. it, does he not? No, it's it's Laposter. Calvin Harris is out for the year defensively. So yeah, um, it's Laposter. Uh, I I. I'll just say this. I, I expect Hayden Dunhurst to be in the lineup on Thursday night. I think I agree as well. But let's just say for a second, for the sake of argument, let's just say he's not. We, I think someone asked – was this a mailbag question or you and I just started debating this a podcast a couple of times ago about what's more valuable, Hayden Dunhurst's offense or his defense? I know yeah. there's going to be a defensive drop-off, but if Dunhurst has a thumb issue and he can't catch, he's DHing three days, is he not? Absolutely, yes. Yes, so that puts no posture in the field three days. So it's not that – I say not that huge of a deal. Having half of Hayden Dunhurst's services, even if he's dealing with this injury, is better than if it were like a shoulder or elbow or something that prevented him from hitting. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's not, you know, Cooper Johnson in 2017 or 2018 where you're not getting much at the plate. No, he, he's a very extremely viable hitter. Um, but what it does, right, is like, yeah, you lose Hayden uh, Dunhurst's defense and you lose your DH, you know, hitting. So that, that in all is a very massive loss because Knox Laposter, you know, while Ole Miss's DHs have not been great, um, I would say they, they're a good bit better than what Knox offers you at the plate. And that's not a slide against the kid. He's just, you know, struggled offensively for a little while now. Yeah, in very sporadic opportunities. I will say, and maybe it's just because he's a Jackson area kid, there have been moments, and poor guy is just kind of a, uh, I mean, average-ish SEC catcher where Mike's just recruiting these ridiculous studs on top of one another. But there have been, like, brief moments throughout LaPoster's career where he's hit a home run that's, like, made your eyebrows raise. It was like, whoa, that got out of here in a hurry. Knox LaPoster started in a regional in 2019, I believe it was. twenty. Yeah, 2019. He was a starting uh, DH in a regional, I believe. No, super. Didn't he? was the kid that had the Roger Dorn game, right? He started, got like hit by a pitch and immediately removed. Did he not? Did he? I don't know. Maybe he did. I distinctly remember that now that you said that. I'm pretty sure he started game three of the super. Um, I'm about to look this up because I'm sure I made some dumbass joke about Roger Dorn on the internet. Um, yeah, there we go. June 10th, 2019. Laposter with the Roger Dorn game. H by P and pinch ran for when Arkansas goes for the right hander. <laughs> How about that? Who pinch ran for him? Can you find it? It would have had to have been Josh Hall. Yeah, and then someone uh someone hit for Hall. Yes. 
Uh, absolutely. Well, Someone, whoever it was else came in at catcher. Or maybe, no, LaPosser had no, been DHing. Yeah. He would have been the DH, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> There's been moments with Knox LaPosser. Um, I, I just wonder what he would do. Like, if you gave him 20 games to DH, would it have been any worse than what Ole Miss has gotten out of their DH collectively so far? That might be an interesting way to play. No, that's, that's you know, obviously anybody that gets, you know, a heavy load of at-bats is going to improve over time. That's for sure. Um, I would say that, yeah, Kelvin Harris, Hayden Leatherwood, and Ben Van Cleve would over time offer you more than I think LaPosser would have. Because he's certainly a matchup guy as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think those three guys uh, – and I think there's a shot this weekend that Hayden Leatherwood gets thrill at bats at DH so that Plumley can play right field and they can see what he is offensively. I uh, – we've talked about – we hinted at this on Sunday. I certainly agree as well. So let's just play an impromptu game that I just made up. Over under one and a half starts for John Rice Plumley. I'm going – he's going to start on Saturday. All right, so so let's let's can can I make an assumption that Dunhurst starts all three games? Yes, that, that's that, fair. So normal lineup, thumb, Dunhurst thumb injury aside. Okay, uh, I think over. I think he starts two at least. So you're now about to. So now what we're about to see, at least for the time being, is a pretty swift outfield that includes a man that plays piano and quarterback and T.J. McCants. Um, um well. I mean, just Kevin Graham better not wear black cleats because I've been told you look slow in black cleats. I don't know if he has that option, but he better put on the fastest looking shoes possible with those other two. Yeah, I, I will say this. I mean, Plumley gets the start on Saturday against a right-handed pitcher, um, and he certainly did nothing to play his way out of the lineup. So I'm not exactly sure how you justify taking him out at this point. Particularly that, like we mentioned, we talked about this on Sunday, but he Leatherwood was not getting you anything at the plate, and he's obviously certainly not a defensive plus. We had this argument about Plumley in center field earlier in the year, did we? Not not an argument. We made this case when they weren't getting a ton out of center field at the time. I don't even remember who was out there originally to start. Oh, it was Bench and someone else. Maybe they needed Bench's services elsewhere. We made the case to where if it just kind of gets to a certain level, don't you just throw him out there for the defense because the offense can't get worse? It's kind of the same deal right now with Leatherwood. Yeah, exactly. Um, and ooh. But, yeah, I, I actually – I like I said on Sunday, I'm an advocate of starting John Rice Plumley in right field for the foreseeable future. Now, again, I'm not forgetting Hayden Leatherwood. I think the kid can play at Division One and SEC level. I just think his at bats need to come against uh, right-handed pitching and pretty much in the DH hole. Props to Plumley too, because I had written him off as a baseball player. I'll be uh, too. other than yeah, I mean, occasional I'm... contributor as a pinch runner and kind of like a spark guy. And you know what? There's something to this as well. I will say this: there's something to having a kid like that in your clubhouse in your locker room every day as well um that as far as our contribution i was kind of done i was out but both i'll say this and this is a credit to john rice plumley uh both teams that he play on absolutely love the kid and and there that doesn't happen by accident so um he works extremely hard I, i saw last year him get gassed up by 86 to 87 miles an hour uh against memphis on a tuesday night that it's it's not the same player. Um, he can handle velocity to a point. He is a perfectly decent SEC hitter um, that I think could be at his ceiling a good SEC hitter. Um, maybe a Justin Bench is his ceiling, which you know right now I tell you what, if if Mike Bianco could get Justin Bench out of John Rice Plumley, he'd sign in blood for it. 
Very true. That's an interesting way to kind of frame that as well. And maybe this ends up being John Rice Plumley's. I mean, if you really want to use like ESPN's Instagram lingo at this rate, uh, his message to the haters, I would argue, <laughs> uh, I would I would phrase it more. And I wonder if this is kind of his FU moment, to, so his detractors that said he should focus on X or Y or whatever. Maybe it doesn't work out at quarterback, but I'll throw my hand up. I didn't think it would work out as a baseball player. I was kind of wondering what he was doing. I think Borgie and I made the argument all the time. Like, why couldn't you just spend this offseason focus on football and try to try to make a run at this corral thing? Uh, hand up. I, I feel like I'm very wrong on that one. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he has certainly improved as a, bas- or a baseball player and serves all across the world. Um, great kid. And, look, he was – he was a Division One prospect out of college, baseball-wise. Um, absolutely. It was weird. It was – if anyone you asked around there, it wasn't like, no, he sucks. It was like, I don't really know what he is. I, I, yeah. did, I don't know how you asked who you talked to. Everyone I talked to was like – I was like, well, can he hit? It was like, yeah, I guess. Like, <laughs> he's fast. Is he a good outfielder? Yeah, kind of. Like, no one would give you any sort of solid information on what he was. As you can answer that question right now. No, he was not a good outfielder when he got here last year. Um, and now he is a good outfielder. He can run. That doesn't make you a good outfielder. Um, and, and Mike kind of alluded to that in, in a question about him. Um, he's made himself into a pretty good outfielder. And, and that, that's a plus to him when you consider that he hasn't had the time over here that, you know, 98% of the other guys have. That's a good point. Anything else uh, before we kind of move on to our picks and go in and get football and then get out of here? Is, uh, is there anything else from this series you're kind of looking at? I, you know, I wrote in the Monday newsletter. I took a day off from the newsletter today. There just wasn't a whole lot there. And uh, to be honest, I got swamped with work stuff. But I'll probably write about this a little more in link tomorrow as well. Uh, I say tomorrow, uh, Wednesday. Um, do you – like, I, you know, Chatagne, it just kind of is what it is. I would have been surprised if Chatagne was in the lineup against North Alabama. What about you? There's, there's a no percent chance he would have been in the lineup today. I don't think. I mean, I what, think why would – What's the point? Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Like, yeah, you got to win the game. But, like, come on. If, if you have to play Peyton Chattanooga to beat North Alabama, like, you got a bigger problem. And Ole Miss does not have a bigger problem. They would have won the game with relative ease today. Uh, Mississippi State destroyed North Alabama last week. So, yeah, I, I don't think Chattanooga would have played, and, and they would have conserved him for this weekend. Um, this is going to be interesting to see how him and Dunhurst look, especially Chattanooga, because his will be more visible. Uh, he was definitely limbering around after or during the Alabama series. I can't remember. It was game two on Friday night, and I don't remember. I don't remember. Did they bunt him? I know Mike's doing. Yes, they bunted him. Yes, they bunted him because, frankly, if he had a ground ball, they were screwed. I was about to say when very clearly he was going to be out, and like it wasn't like he like you know whatever you want to call it. And what what do they call it when you just kind of let up on the play? He just he like kind of gimped up, like he started limping a little bit down the. And that was the first time I really noticed. He came out of the game after that. And you, to your point, yes. And I texted you at the time. I was like, okay, whatever. It makes sense for his defense. But that was the worst he looked, in my opinion. And then the half inning before, someone either he caught a ball or the right fielder caught a ball where he was within camera shot of them running into the dugout, and it took a while for him to change directions. And I don't notice stuff like that. Right. No, I mean he he was definitely hurting. So, uh, maybe. Maybe we'll get a violence of it this weekend, but you know, I almost needs him to be healthy because he's a different man or they're a different lineup with him. Yeah, and I'm I'm not a doctor. Again, I just pretended to be one on radio, but you seem like four I guess it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, four days of rest versus two seems better for an injury like that when the only remedy is just that rest. 
yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, I think he starts all three games, and I won't be shocked if in all three games Garrett Wood comes in and plays second base at the end of them. And not to nitpick at all, but I'm just trying to find a couple more, like, I guess, tidbits for, for the people before we get out of here. Uh, you'd probably like to see Kevin Graham rebound a bit, maybe a nice three for four, and then maybe another multi-hit game out of him, two of the three games, yeah. a couple whacks. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely you would. I mean, you, you need your three-hole hitter to hit. Um, that being said, uh, you know, there, there some people made a little bit too much of Kevin Graham last week. The, the kid's a stud. He had a bad weekend. It is what it is. Frankly, if you look at Elko, his first two games, he didn't play well, but you all you remember him for is that last game, and that's all you should remember him for. That, that's where I was going next is, like, to use a golf term in, where you play a scramble. Ole Miss brother-in-lawed it pretty well on offense. Now, game two, they didn't need a bunch of offense because they pitched the ball so masterfully. But if you look at the, the the stat line and the box score from all three games, you know, Elko saved the day on Sunday in a big way. He gets another big hit in game one on Friday but didn't have a great day. Like, if you look at the typical characters, they all didn't have good games at the same time. And I guess that's why you didn't see Ole Miss just completely demolish Alabama for a game. But they kind of brother-in-lawed it pretty well uh, in terms of offense last weekend. Yeah, no, they absolutely did. Um, so, yeah, look, this is this is a really good best, uh, baseball team. And, man, um, they, they, they kind of feel like that, you know, that, that somebody falls off, they pick them up. That's kind of how baseball works. And your three-hole doesn't have a good weekend, well, you know, Tim Oko picks you up or, or TJ McCants picks you up. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about this team. It, it just kind of feels like maybe that, you know, like I said, the three-hole doesn't have a good weekend. But, man, they – they don't really give away outs one through nine. So you have to earn every out. And that allows you that when your three hole isn't good, like you're still going to have to earn everything. And, and eight guys are still going to be able to come at you. And that's really tough for an opposing pitcher for sure. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say before we transition toward football, because I think we've kind of covered this series about as well as we can. It's an interesting dynamic with this team. Or like the last full regular season, they played the, the, the regular, that regular season was kind of de-emphasized because what had happened, which was crazy to say, three years ago now in the Super Regional. But with the way – call me crazy, but with the way this is lining up, so they have a huge series at against Arkansas next weekend at home. I mean, Arkansas looks like the cream of the crop in the SEC West alongside Ole Miss, and they go to state. If they get out of those two games, three and three, and they're back in this LSU, South Carolina, A&M – Vanderbilt and Georgia yes obviously we know Vanderbilt's pretty good but I just kind of look at this from the mindset particularly they're able to take two this weekend it's kind of like how much damage can this team do like as far as like the standings and getting like can they like if they take two or three this weekend not that it really matters but are you kind of like watching just like can this team get to 20 21 oh absolutely yeah yeah you tell me this team's I mean like you're nine and one or what what would it be seven and Eight and one after nine. Um, yeah, man. I, I think, you know, you're eight and one after nine. That's what, 12 and nine? That's not overly crazy. 12 and nine over seven series. I mean, that's that's one and six of your seven series. Now, is that hard? Sure, absolutely. But, you know, um, it's not impossible. And you went to this weekend, I think you start discussing, you know, national seeds, certainly. I think that discussion's already been had. But, I think you start discussing winning the SEC at that point and competing with Vanderbilt and Arkansas to to be not just West champions, but to to be the, you know, SEC title. And frankly, this year, I'll be honest with you, the way everything's shaping up kind of around the country, 
Uh, I think whoever wins the SEC is going to be the number one overall national seed. That's probably a better way to articulate what I was trying to get at, too, is, like, you get to 9-1. and one. I mean, again, you've seen – what was that weird team? Was it 08 or was it 08 where they started out, like – Mike had a team that started out, like, decently in SEC play and then just literally, like – I don't think they made a regional. Which team am I talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? 2017. Um, but, no, 2008, who you're thinking of. Yes, and obviously things things can change, but like like you were saying, if you get to eight and one, I mean they already right now if they play five hundred baseball the rest of the day, they're a national seed. Really, no questions asked. But yeah, right. if you win two this weekend, it kind of gets in that territory of of the pressure of like, hey, are they going to play June baseball in Oxford? Not goes away, but kind of you feel pretty comfortable about that, and it's kind of more of an alleviated way to view this team, and they probably feel it in some sense too. Is just like how high can you ascend in this regular season, which is a good feeling to have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you go from, you know, uh, thinking, hey, we can probably be a national seed and, and host regional to, okay, we're, we're a top eight team. Um, you know, we're, we're, let, let, it goes from, all right, what do we have to do to be able to succeed in the postseason to, all right, let's make sure when we get to the postseason we're ready to go because this team is going to have to get beat at home to not go to the College World Series. And that's a huge advantage to have. If Absolutely. Miss, yeah, that's a gigantic advantage to have. If Ole Miss gets to like eight or nine and one this season, we're not even to the halfway point of SEC play. That'd be a little premature. But you're well on your way to being at what? I mean, it's not unreasonable to say 12 wins at the halfway point. And at that point, you're really just kind of setting yourself up, making sure – you know, you're healthy, you're, you're at full go come June and not having to worry about what 99% of teams that are in the postseason or in the postseason mix in college baseball are having to worry about over the last month and a half of the season and is that can we win enough games to improve our status to whether it's get in, be a host, be a national seed. You get to, I mean, you get to eight and one and you have a, you know, barring a couple of disasters, you're probably just kind of talking about getting your ducks in a row to be at full strength and not having to worry about any of that, which is a gigantic advantage. I couldn't agree more. You're not having to go fight yourself. And another thing there, right, like you don't have to go fight over there in Hoover. Yeah, you go over there and play good baseball and try to win games. But you don't have to do what you did in 2018 and, and try to stay over there a while or 2019 where you're trying to host a regional. It's like, yeah, if we win, that's great. If we lose, that, that's fine too. doesn't really matter. Um, that's kind of what I want from Ole Miss this year as a fan is like, just go to Hoover and it not mean anything. Because I really don't want to have – look, I love Hoover and I'll go over there. But I – and, I look, I want Ole Miss to win when they're over there. But I don't want them to have to exert themselves the way they did in 2018 and 2019. Yeah, if they got to, to 19, 20 wins, it may be even 18, um, I would go to Hoover and I would throw Cole Baker, Greer Holston, and Justin Bench to let him knock out the full nine. <laughs> The problem with that is, I can tell you the, the issue with that is going to be the kids are going to want to go over there and compete and win because they don't want to have to come over. Also, practice. a little bit to be said to where if you lose, like a, I guess they would obviously not be playing the single elimination game. But just say you right. go two and through at Hoover, you kind of go eight eight ish days without playing a baseball. Without playing, it's a little yeah, funky. Yeah. So, you want to stay over there a little while, uh, real quick. Do you have? Uh, let's see. Uh, do you have? Any thoughts, you know, just hypothetically on uh, UCLA plus seven against Michigan? Any thoughts? No, because I don't know what to make of UCLA. I guess that's okay. as good. Let's hit football and then we'll close with some hoops. Okay. Just just wondering if you had any ideas. <laughs> no, but if you do, go to Skybox Sports Picks, the inventor of the Skybox uh, 
It, I, I tried to just ad lib and add it. I couldn't do it. Go see my friend at Skybox Sports Pick. They'll hook you the hell up. Already read the ads at the top of the show. I couldn't just ad lib it without it in front of me. Go see him. That's probably as good an ad as any because I fumbled it out and sounded like a moron. Go check out my friends. They probably could tell you. I know they could tell you. So go check them out if you're listening to this uh, retroactively and can somehow bet uh, in the past. So anyway, check them out for the final four. Um, but no, no strong feeling on that either way. The Ole Miss is going through spring practice. That is also happening. And uh, they had to kind of re, re, rework their schedule because of the weather. I know they were going to have the open practice, whatever, on Saturday outside with uh, fans in attendance because that's the most important thing. And it's definitely not being able to bring prospects to campus uh, and see those practices. But uh, not a whole lot to report on. They had to alter the schedule this weekend. They're dealing with some injuries. Um, Lane Kiffin got asked about the spot. His answer was weird. It was like, yeah, we got some young guys we're working in, but Jeremy James seems to make the most sense. Okay. That's yeah. Um, um, Jeremy James is a guy that, that I think is going to play a lot of meaningful football for almost next year. Oh, I think there would be a huge issue if he did it. They'd get, yeah. He, he yeah he, hurt, their, their, their depth is, is eroded quite a bit. The Hudson Wolf kid, the tight end, apparently is not participating in the thing right now because of an injury. I don't make a ton of that, but uh, I, I believe Casey Kelly is out with an injury as well. So um, if I were – that would be one of those to where I'm trying to motivate myself to go cover this spring practice. I would go to see who in the hell is playing tight end and if it's Jonathan Hess or not. If it's Jonathan Hess or not. Yeah, it's going to be Hudson Wolf, I think, or Chase Rogers will be involved there some too. I think he's still there. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, well, he played Rogers is there. Uh, Casey Kelly was the kid that kind of flashed after Kenny Yoboa left. He had a couple moments last year. Well, you you, you know about him, right? He's not. He, gets, he got hurt. I know he got yeah. hurt. He's not in spring right now. Yeah, he got he got hurt in a snowboarding accident, I think. Oh, I did not know it was a snowboarding accident. I thought you were going to drop the nugget on me that he's related to Chad. I know he's not no. in spring right now. That's what I was kind of getting at. It's like, Who's playing tight end for them right now? Yeah, I think if fully healthy, he and Wolf are probably well. He and uh, actually, I would say he and Rogers are probably the contributors. Yeah, um, and I don't know if I mean I don't know what his injury is. I don't know if he's back for the regular season or not because it happened after the bowl game. I would think he probably is. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's the one storyline on offense. I guess frankly too. I mean the other storylines. Talk about skill players, it's it's receivers, right? Like you gotta figure out uh who's gonna get open and catch the football because if Matt Bruce is any indication that slim pickings there because Bra- uh, I mean, besides Braylon Sanders. Yeah, uh, and poor uh Jonathan Mingo w- was available to the media and David Johnson was trying to ask him about like if they feel the pressure about anyone in the room trying to be the next great old miss wide receiver. And yes. On the surface, it sounds like a corny question, but man, if you've ever sat in a media room in late February trying to find something interesting about spring football, <laughs> you understand where David's coming from. Everyone can see the story he's trying to write there. Like, I'm not knocking David for the question at all, but Jonathan Mingo was, if you could watch this video, I'll put it in the Wednesday newsletter, was just hell bent on not giving him anything <laughs> regarding <laughs> that. He just kept being like, what do you mean get a sense about that? And he was like, I don't know. Do y'all talk about it? And he was like, no, nah, we just got a good group together. Like, was not giving him any quote. Not getting that, that quote. Um, but it's kind of – it's kind of not telling or indicative, but it is kind of funny because, honestly, if the offense is going to reach its full potential, they're going to need someone to kind of be that. I mean, yeah, they're going to no, have I- to have someone be much better – much. they're going to have to have one guy be a much better version – 
than himself than he was a year ago for them to be very good at receiver at minimum. No, absolutely. Um, so I, I, yeah, they, they've got to be a whole lot better receiver, frankly. I mean, obviously with the guys that are coming back, obviously Elijah Moore was a stud last year and Kenny Yaboa was a stud. Um, but number two, he's got to have guys get open. And, and that's, that, that's just the fact of the matter. I mean, they, they recruited highly rated guys and it's time for some of them to pan out. Yeah. And I just kind of wonder what, uh, you know, with it, not how different the offense looks and the way plays are called differently by not having the presence of Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa over the middle of the field, because that 100% changes the way defenses schemed and guarded Ole Miss, particularly in the passing game. And I think they'll find, of course, plenty of ways around it. But let's just say it's it's a Mingo or a Braylon Sanders that kind of emerges, and they're on the outside. I just wonder how that changes the play calling from year one to year two and how they look. I, I think the two most things I'm intrigued about as a receiver is, to me, it's kind of – I was kind of poking fun at Mingo a second ago. To me, it's kind of a put-up or shut-up year for him. Like, oh, I won't absolutely. give the lean yet. I kind of think I know which direction it's going. But, uh, I mean, this is kind of it for him. And then, you know, can Ole Miss kind of capture lightning in a bottle, I would describe it for the lack of a better phrase, if they get a fully healthy year from Braylon Sanders? Because that's a kid that's proven to be really crafty and really good when healthy. But uh, the latter that I just mentioned has just not happened for him. No, no, he, he's got to stay healthy. Um, Dontario Drummond's another guy that, that – I thought Dontario was pretty good last year for what they asked him to do, but he's got to – I think that is what he is, though. I agree, but I just don't know – like, how, what, is there a level up for him? I'm not a receiver expert I'm not, by I'm not either. But the way he plays the game, that just kind of seemed to be kind of it, maybe. Maybe yeah, I'm, no, wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, that, that's completely fair. I don't, I don't know. Like you said, I'm, I'm no football guru. But, yeah, I, I think there's some pieces there. Um, but, man, yeah, like you said with Jonathan Mingo, like this is the year, right? Like this is the year you either put up and become the player that you should be or this is the year that you probably aren't at Ole Miss anymore. That or you just kind of are what you are and you graduate and you kind of go on your merry way, right? Like you're just – I mean, talk about any sort of professional future because he was a very highly recruited kid. Like if it doesn't happen this year, I mean, not to be like crude or, or cruel or whatever you want to call it, it's probably not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is – this is kind of it for him. The last kid they talked to yesterday was Tavius Robinson. And these are the type of kids – I love when, like, they bring these kids in here to where you just kind of realize some of the just, like, life shit that these kids have to go through. Um, where someone asked Tavius Robinson about getting acclimated last year. Like, he was kind of a late transfer, and he was like, yeah, I had to come down from Canada, Mississippi. Like, it was quite the change. And I was like, yeah, I can probably – like, I can't relate to that, but I can feel you on that one, man. Like, just a lifestyle change uh, for a guy yes. like that and then having to uh, go from Canadian football to SEC football on top of it, imagine I imagine walk, that's not an easy challenge. Imagine walking out in Mississippi in the middle of August after you just spent some time in Quebec. Exactly. Or just, like, you and your buddies, like, hey, let's go hit this, like, restaurant before practice. I, I doubt this ever actually happened, but, like, one of the things I thought of was, like, you know, he goes to Ajax for lunch and then they have to go to practice or something. And this man is half a half, half a second slower. Right. Like just everything's different, man. You just kind of got to get acclimated. I, I can't imagine like even going to college in Canada and not trying no. to get things to normal in a couple of months. And then on top of that, his course load and having to play, you know, division one football on top of that. Tell you what, uh, you know, we, kind of shit on A&M there for a little bit baseball-wise. They're about to 
win a big midweek game over Texas after winning a series against Georgia. They may actually not be as awful as I thought. Texas seems soft to me. There's a hot take. <laughs> is that like is that like your just go to uh, with Texas? Like all sports, they're just soft. Well, okay, so it probably could relate for it. We had a radio bit for a while. One day we were talking regionals, and I don't remember if this was 2018 or 2019. I don't think it necessarily particularly matters. But for whatever reason, we we're talking regionals, and, like, Georgia Tech was a borderline host. And Richard just Richard Cross just eviscerated Texas uh, – Georgia Tech's just entire baseball program and collective existence. Jesus. He called them, like, Charmin Soft or something. Maybe he'd had a game early in the year. But it was so random and just so out there, it became like a running joke on the radio show. It's like, Charmin Soft, Georgia Tech is at it again. That's how I feel about Texas baseball. Every time I mean, you go through the – I bought one of those media guides in Arlington. And, you know, in between games, I stayed for Texas and Arkansas the Saturday or Sunday, whatever yeah. it was. And I was reading through the media guides like, yeah, this kid's high recruited. But they just don't seem to have an edge, and they haven't had that for a while. That's my theory. Okay. All right. Brian, the hater of Texas baseball. Look, I hate Texas baseball, too, so it makes two of us. I don't even hate them. I don't know enough about them to hate them. They just seem soft. They, they broke my heart in 2005 when I was, like, 12, so I decided I hated them that day. Was that, like, Drew Stubbs and that whole – Yeah, Taylor Teagard. Uh, yeah, Jay Brentcox. Um, so, that was the uh, – Texas, Texas baseball. Never know what you're going to get here. Yeah, print the shirts. I said they're soft. Um. <laughs> Football-wise, I think that's about everything for right now. You're just not going to know a whole lot so far. You know, they've got some – Kiffin said they're battling some injuries. He said it in the tone of voices, like our COVID situation isn't good right now, and it kind of gave me PTS, PTSD. He was like, our injury oh. numbers aren't great right now. I was like, thank God he didn't say the word COVID. I was, I was told COVID is over, so. Uh, yeah, I, I was told that too. I hope it's over. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Not going to pretend to be on the show. I hope to God. It's over, but it was just funny listening to him say, like, our numbers aren't great right now. Because how many times did you hear that in the fall? And it's like, great. There's another COVID outbreak where he's just talking about kids getting dinged up and injured in practice. And after the, the initial shock of it, it was actually kind of refreshing to hear him be like, yeah, come on with this time of year injuries. <laughs> how nice does it feel that it's just kids getting the hell beat out of them instead of COVID? Exactly. It's just a hammy. No one's having to get tested for a hammy. Um <laughs> All right, last thing before we get out of here, that was enough football for one show. The Elite Eight has sucked. We hit it at this earlier. As we transition to basketball, I'll remind you one more time to go see my friends at Skybox Sports Picks. They're the inventor of the Skybox Matrix Interval. A theory, a, uh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I have to add that in front of me. They handicap games. They kick ass at it. Their over-unders are awesome. Their NASCAR is awesome. You should go check these guys out. Please use my promo code. Use the products I am pitching to you, clowns. Because if you don't, that means less money for me, and that makes me less happy and more grumpy on the podcast, which you might like. But go check out my friends. They're awesome. They know what they're doing. They're hitting it 56% on college hoops for the year, 60% on match plays. That dog will hunt. How is that for an ad read? Can you ask their opinion of uh, Michigan? And, and I actually have the sub. I guess I could see. I just wonder if they had an opinion for Michigan and UCLA. Go buy a daily pass with the promo code. I mean, eight bucks. I'm, I'm probably going to do that. It's, it's like an extra juice. They got a March Madness package. I'd recommend buying them for full season. These dudes rake football. If you're bored in the summer and you don't like betting on baseball, these guys 
crush it on NASCAR. And I'm not just saying that. They were trying to explain it to me. And I don't understand NASCAR, so that makes two of us. But go try to understand the sport of NASCAR from them. They absolutely crush it. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Go check out my friends. They will guide you to profit. That being said, the lead eight is sucked. And I think it's because we had two teams that were way better than everyone else. Uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, I think that's going to be the title game. I think we've known that for a while, and we've tried to talk ourselves out of it. Um, and then the other game was kind of eh. Like, Oregon State made it close. They got off to a bad start. And then as of this recording, UCLA-Michigan has not happened yet. Colin's over here asking for a lean. But that's our best bet for quality hoops, right? Yeah. Well, it's the only one left. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's our best bet for quality hoops. What's kind of crazy is, though, is like, you know, I thought, one, I thought Oregon was really good. Yeah. I thought USC was really good. And they played each other, and USC got off to a really good start and ran them out of the gym. And I was surprised by that. I actually kind of like Oregon in that game. But USC not ever giving Gonzaga a fight from the opening junk jump kind of confirms everything you need to know, right? Like, this is going to take a Villanova versus Georgetown-type performance or whatever that famous rivalry was in the late 90s or late late 80s to kind of do this, right? Like, Gonzaga is one of the heaviest favorites we've had in quite a while, don't you think? Yeah, and, and I think – you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you think I'm wrong. I think they're going to be minus five, minus six versus Baylor. Like, I, I, I think Baylor's the only team that can beat them. But, oh, wow. Oh, oh, goodness. The A&M pitcher throwing the horns down at the Texas bench has got me, got me feeling a type of way. Anyways. You and Tom um, Herman both. Oh, God, that's great. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I think Baylor's the only team that can beat them, but I think Gonzaga is remarkably better. Oh, my God. <laughs> A&M is doing, like, you know how you shake hands after the game? Like, they're doing the fist bump with the horns down. This is special. Well, um, you don't get these two in hoops and basket in hoops and football anymore. So this is kind of like it for them, and that's still a huge rivalry. Those two schools hate each other despite not playing. It's kind of weird. Oh my God, A and M may have just became my second favorite SEC team. Anyways, um, they're the only team in the country that can beat Gonzaga. I just think Gonzaga is still a lot better than they are. I think so too, and I would actually go on a step further. Like I, I wouldn't shock me if you do get this national championship, which like it all signs point towards it. I wouldn't shock me if Gonzaga was seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they they were nine tonight, and I was like, I, I don't understand. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't understand. So um, I I think look, what after what they did to USC, they're 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 going to be heavily favored. Not heavily. I think whoever they play, Michigan or, or uh, UCLA, especially UCLA, they'll be a seven to eight point favorite. Uh, and then the national title game, I think you're probably you're probably closer to it than I am. I think you have minus six or seven. I mean, I don't know how you stop Gonzaga. And Baylor's is as good as it gets on defense, but I have no idea how you can stop them offensively. Would agree with that, too. And it's 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 been an interesting tournament where you've had a ton of good games. The Sweet 16 was pretty solid, I thought. And it's just like you get down to the final four teams – or, excuse me, the final eight teams, it's four games. And when two of the teams are, like – significantly better than the others you kind of get I guess a watered down version of it I hope we don't get that for the final four um I could see Houston and Baylor being a pretty competitive game particularly if sure. Taylor kind of slogs it out of the gates and doesn't shoot the basketball well I, I don't you know and the other side of this is assuming Michigan beats UCLA tonight which I, I think they will because if it's if it's I mean god forbid if it's Gonzaga UCLA just 
put it in charge. Then, then Gonzaga will be sued. Uh, we'll need to pay child support to the city of Los Angeles if it's Gonzaga UCLA. Great way to put it. If it's if it's Michigan, it's kind of answers like the the right thing to do here, like the right thing for this weird season to play out is to get Gonzaga Michigan and then Baylor whoever right because we thought Baylor and Gonzaga were better than everyone else the whole year and the only person that's been er, person only team that has been consistently kind of the third team in that conversation where the question is valid as to whether they're worthy or not has been Michigan and they'll get a chance to prove it. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, know if absolutely. that game will be close. I don't necessarily think it will, but that's the best bet to give Gonzaga a game before they play Baylor. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Um, so, you know, uh, it's a, I, I think that Michigan will win tonight, like you said, and then I think they'll play Gonzaga. Maybe the best game they've played all year. Certainly BYU was close in the conference tournament championship, but but uh, Gonzaga came back and won. Gonzaga, I think that's the only time all year that, that live-wise they were an underdog at one point. Um, but, yeah, I just – I don't think Michigan has the defensive ability to stop them at all. I mean, USC played well tonight, man, and they lost by 19. Like, you know, they, they couldn't guard Drew Timmy. Like, what do you do when, you know, you can't double-team them because Jalen Suggs and, and – and Nimhard and those guys are going to make threes. And also, you can't guard Drew Timmy one-on-one. Like, there's just it, – it, it, Baylor's the only team with a size that can do that. Would agree with that. And with regards to Gonzaga-USC, it's very rare – it's more common in the NBA. I say common. It's more rare in the NBA. It's still the same theory in college. It's very rare that a team has the best player on the floor and it's just seismically under overmatched, and that's yes. what happened to USC tonight. USC had yep. the best player on the floor, but never stood a chance. No, no, Mobley was great, and like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Like, but you're right. I mean, but where do you go? I mean, it's Gonzaga. I mean, you talk about. I mean, when Timmy's doing stuff in the low post, and then you have Jalen Suggs, and it's the other way. Oh, by the way, they have Nimhart on the wing too. It's like, what? What are you supposed to do with that? Yeah, no, I mean. You know, so I, I – I've never really seen, like, right? We've always had, um, you know, like Kentucky in 15. I can't, I think Duke in 15. It was like, all right, these are clearly the best two teams in the tournament. But it was never, all right, these two teams are going to play for the national title. It has been Gonzaga and Baylor yep. going to play for the national title for the past two months. Yep, barring something very weird. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that was kind of but the whole – I kind of think something weird would have already had to have happened. Oh, I agree. Very, I agree. Although I would consider Houston beating Baylor in the Final Four pretty odd. But, like, yeah, but you, the way you described it is better is, like, Duke, Kentucky, whatever those years, those two seemed on a collision course. It was like, they're probably going to end it up, but it wouldn't stun me if something happened because it's March to where these two were so overwhelming. It was like, I would actually be very stunned if it didn't end up being these yeah, two. I mean, they've just beat the hell out of everybody. I guess – Baylor was down nine to Villanova, but at no point did I think Villanova was going to win that game. Agree there, too. It never felt like it even just watching that game. It was kind of like, all right, when is Baylor going to wake up? So if that ends up being the national championship game, are those the two best coaches in the sport without a national title? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hugh is a definitely a given. I guess the argument is Scott Drew. Yeah, you know, people used to crap on Scott Drew. Like, that was a fun thing to do back when Baylor wouldn't make it past the Sweet 16 or maybe would get upset in the first round. Like, I, I never – like, I'm not good enough to gauge basketball coaches, especially ones that I don't follow on a daily basis. But I, I never understood the, the dislike for him. Um, he, he is one hell of a basketball coach. 
it's the same deal. I, the, the advancing in March thing is so silly to me. Like, okay, if it's Shaka, it's a little bit different story where you kind of underachieve at Texas for a while, then you finally have a good team. You don't get past it. But the, the Mick Cronins and the Scott Drews of the world that have kind of had tough luck in March, they're at Cincinnati and Baylor. The fact that they're consistently in the tournament enough to make you make the joke that they don't advance far enough <laughs> kind of speaks to how good they are. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the way I viewed it. I mean, they're yeah. building that type of consistency in a program that was not fully invested in the basketball when they got there. I mean, it's a little similar to Mike Bianco if we really want to bring this podcast full circle. It's like, okay, crap on him if you want, but it's the fact that they're there that really kind of uh, underscores how good they are. No, that's that's a really good comp. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Scott Scott Drew's a one hell of a basketball coach, and Mark Few, obviously, little needs to be said about him. Um, but I, I, it kind of sucks, right, that one of those these teams, like, has to lose because in a normal year – or not a normal year, but in most years – this is far and away the best team in the country, and they're going to win the national title. I know, and it just happens that they're happening at the same time. And I would say the last thought I had on hoops is, like, hats off to the Pac-12. Boy, did they need this. Like, Yeah, yeah. Not going to get a team in the Final Four, but yeah. No, but four in the Sweet 16 and three in the Elite Eight, and, like, a team that probably wouldn't have gotten in the tournament with an at-large berth goes all the way to the Elite Eight to just kind of boost your numbers. But this is this is real. Oregon fully healthy was really damn good. USC was really damn good all year. And UCLA, when they kind of clicked, were pretty good. Oregon State, obviously, quite the outlier. They became, like, maybe one of the hottest teams. I would still argue that's one of the more improbable runs of all time. If you ever watched the Oregon State basketball game in January or December of this year, it's like, how did this come together? Like, this is still the same dudes. Like, there's no birth certificate malfeasance going on. Um, yeah, them getting to the Elite Eight was, uh, was wow. It's insane. And they beat – you talk about point differential. They Until they lost in the Elite Eight, they beat the shit out of every team they played. They The way they just dismantled Tennessee was one of the more impressive things I've ever seen. It was. Like, Tennessee was lost. Hey, can it we was. talk about Rick Barnes for a second? Uh, he ever going to do anything? So, that's right. That's So, Rick Barnes, to me, is kind of in that Cronin um, – Cronin – Scott Drew category because yes I do think Rick Barnes is underachieved in March but look at what happened to Texas basketball when he left versus when he was there like it's kind of like the double like you know what I mean like there's two ways to look at that sure but my the difference with Scott Drew or not yeah Scott Drew Mick Cronin and Rick Barnes is that Rick Barnes has been at two programs that really really care about basketball like it doesn't take it doesn't take them much effort to get Texas and Tennessee into the tournament that's a good point. I mean, it's it's definitely not completely comparable. I just think – I don't know. You catch the right year. And you know what I mean? Like, it, yes, Tennessee was disappointing this year. But for a team that was projected – like, that that was not a tournament shocker. You knew something was off with this Tennessee team all year. Sure. I don't know about you. You watched a ton of SEC hoops. Like, you know, they were the preseason favorite to win the league. But you could tell from – late January. Oh, they they sucked on offense. Yeah, I say, you talk about kind of soft. Like, something was just off with that club. Yeah, they sucked offensively. They couldn't score. But, like, you like th- them failing in the tournament was not a shocker to me. Like, I, one of my locks of the tournament was Oregon State to beat them. I didn't it, love it, that matchup. It wasn't a shock to me, but it was, like, just to the point. Like, again, yo, Rick, we ever going to do anything, man? Like, it, you're at Tennessee, and you made one elite – or one sweet 16 and got upset by a non-seed uh, or, or – Lloyd- I guess Loyola was a 11 seed uh, with your best team. Like, what, what are we doing here? 
Um, and then, you know, obviously doesn't do well at Texas. That's why they ran him out of there. I just I, – and I guess it's to, like, compared to the standard that people think Rick Barnes is this, like, elite basketball coach. And, maybe, and I think he's fine. I, I don't think you should mention Rick Barnes and the elite of the elite basketball coaches like he probably is, though. I would agree for now, but at the same time, like that guy makes one Final Four run at his entire legacy is viewed differently. You know what I mean? Sure, but also maybe win with Kevin Durant. Yeah, that would help as well. He was uh, Kevin Durant's okay. <laughs> he panned out in the pros. Did you see what he did today? No, I did not. Him and I, you should go check it out on Twitter. Him and Michael Rappaport got into it. Oh, I saw this because Rappaport's suing Barstool. I did see this. I saw I, the only reason I saw this is Portnoy's treated the screenshots of basically Michael Rap uh, Durant calling Michael Rappaport a pussy. I love the fact that Kevin Durant just gets on social media and does not give a damn. Did you see what he tweeted that guy the other day? Where some I did. Guy, you know, he's had the burner account issues, and then some right. guy told him to chill out the other day, and he goes, "I ain't got no time to chill on this app. It's a hundred miles an hour as soon as I open it." <laughs> I kind of like that <laughs> attitude. I love it. Do you think Durant, like, just – you know how you have the notifications tab on Twitter? Like, do you yeah. think Durant just, like, goes to it and is like, all right, who are we fighting today? And on which like, account? Yeah. <laughs> which account? You know, one of the things I've always respected about Kevin Durant is, like, yeah, he caught shit for the Golden State move. And, like, I didn't love that for the competitive balance of the league and how you talk about him having a cushy situation in Golden State. Look what he's doing in yeah. Brooklyn and the talent they're acquiring. He's got the MVP of the league on his team. And some guy, if he can keep his head on straight at point guard, that's probably the greatest finisher in the in the game that we have like in, in basketball right now. One of the things I always respected about him, though, is whenever someone legitimate, like a reporter or someone asked him about like his decision making or, you know, getting caught with a burner account on Twitter, he would always just be like, particularly in his younger days, he would always be like, yeah, man, I'm human. I got really, it got under my skin. I created a burner account to clap back. He's like, I'm not that different than you and I. He's like, I like to drink too much beer and play video games sometimes. Like, so, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, it, stuff gets to me. And I've always just kind of respected his honesty on that. Like, you know, I, you know, I don't love the fact that your su franchise superstar has a burner account or whatever. But, I mean, he's even admitted that he kind of makes impulsive decisions sometimes. Like, I can relate to what Kevin Durant says, even though I don't love what he does. <laughs> so, me and Kevin Durant have one thing in common. We do. We, and I, I, I'm, I need to get a new gaming system. We've talked about this. I've been talking about this for years. But once I do, Kevin Durant and I will be one and the same. We both dunk, <laughs> and we both like to drink beer and play video games. Something like that. Oh. <laughs> a great note to end this podcast on. As always, I kept you like half an hour longer than I thought. I appreciate you joining me. Um, we will have LB's Greg on the show on Friday to do some Mailback Friday. Colin will be back. Wait, we forgot to do something. What did we forget to do? We did not make SEC baseball picks. Oh, we did. I knew. I never remember everything on this podcast. All right, let's do that real quick. I'm looking up in live stats. You clipped me last week by two points. Oh, how about that? System works. I think that will be a recurring theme, just a guess. But we will uh, – the way this system works is we bet – we bet. We guess the series winner, um, and then you get an extra point if you call a sweep or if you get two out of three exactly is the way we did this, right? Right. All right. So, let's see. This weekend we have – this is great podcasting. I can tell you one is uh, Kentucky at Mississippi State. Okay. Where in the world? Oh, I'm in the wrong month. All right, here we go. Ole Miss, Florida. We already bested two out of three Ole Miss. Yeah, I'm going two of three Ole Miss. 
South Carolina goes to Georgia. Two of three, South Carolina. No, 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 no. I want to change that. Two of three, Georgia. Oh, damn it. You stole my thunder. I'm going to go South Carolina riding high upset there. I'm going two of three. I agree with you on both. I'm going two of three, Ole Miss, two of three, Georgia on that. All right. Auburn goes to Fayetteville. Uh, Arkansas, two. Because I just don't think you can start 0-9. I'll have to see it before I believe it. Auburn, two. How about that? Oh, wow. That's right. We're getting spicy over here. I, I tell you what, I hope you're right. Same. And it's, I don't know. If you're talking about, you know, there's usually one series every week or every couple of weeks that just doesn't make a ton of sense. That's, That's my pick. Uh, the five and one Kentucky Wildcats against uh, go to Starkville. This might be the most interesting series of the weekend. Thoughts? All right. So Kentucky is holding their ace and not throwing him on Thursday. They're going to pitch him on Friday. I kind of like that. Against Bernard. Uh, their Saturday guy, I believe, is out this weekend. So they're matching their Sunday guy up with State Sunday guy. Um, I'm going to go with Kentucky wins too. <laughs> I, I I like Kentucky. I'll go state too, but I, man, that would be funny if you're right for number. Oh one. my God, six back speak. Oh boy, Vanderbilt travels to LSU. Kind of a back of the against the wall moment for the Van, Red Van, LSU Tigers. I don't Vander, think it's for them. Vanderbilt three. Vanderbilt three. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> one in eight LSU. You think some people are be pissed off at Maneri? Uh, yeah, I would I, I would say so, but all Maneri has to do is, like, check my rap sheet. Um, let's see. Not going to prison. Exactly. Compared to everyone else, he's a he's a saint. Uh, here's a really uh, intriguing one. that This is must-see TV, A&M Missouri. Oh, my God. A&M three. I'll go A&M two just because I don't think they – no, a team that doesn't hit well enough, some game's going to get squirrely, isn't it? No, Missouri can't pitch. So, I'm just sticking with A&M, too. Here's it's like the uh, Mississippi State offense in the Egg Bowl versus Ole Miss defense, like a stoppable force versus a, mo- a movable object. Yes, pretty much. That's uh, that's kind of the vibe I get on that. I'll go A&M, too. Um, don't feel great about that, but whatever. If, if, if I mean, God forbid Missouri wins a series. A&M should just disband. Um, last one's actually a really intriguing series. Uh, the third Saturday in October or some shit like that. Uh, Alabama, Tennessee. To Alabama. Tennessee goes to Alabama. Yeah, this game's in this series is in Tuscaloosa. Alabama two. I What's like up? two also. I don't think Alabama's one in five. I don't. Uh, I don't think they're that bad. If you're talking, so LSU's one in five, Auburn's zero oh and six, Missouri's zero oh and six. I would argue that one of those things is not like the others, and I would say the one that's not like them is Alabama. I like their pitching staff. No, I absolutely like their pitching staff. Um, I'm trying to see. If Prelope's back this week, then, yeah, you, you've got something there. Um, not sure if he's back this week or not. No no, no update on Twitter.com. But, yeah, I look, I think Alabama's a regional team, especially if they get him back. So, uh, at home, I think Tennessee's pretty good. I don't think they're, you know, your normal Tennessee that's going to miss a regional. I think they're a team that's in contention to host this year. Um, but I also don't think Alabama's going to lose three series to start SEC playing two at home. So, so yeah, give me the tide in two. There you have it. I'll put these picks in the newsletter. I meant to do that last week, but I forgot to do it just because I'm an idiot. So I'll put this in the newsletter for Wednesday or Thursday. But I have some quite interesting Easter weekend SEC matchups. Um, I'm uh, particularly the Tennessee-Alabama series is interesting. You know, you talk about – the last thought I had on that was like, talk about Alabama being a regional team. 
the weekends that kill them is not getting one against a club like Ole Miss, right? If you're talking absolutely, to that, especially at home. Yeah, against that 13, 14 win mark, that's crushing. I hope they make it. I don't know why. They just seem to have kind of a likable team. I like that Dylan Smith kid a lot. He's a one hell of a pitcher. He is. So that's our picks. We'll uh, reconvene on our Sunday show as always and see how badly Colin beat me as far as that. Hopefully I can hang tough just like uh, Auburn has done so far in SEC play. <laughs> but okay. we will uh, – I appreciate it as always, dude. We'll be back at it. Uh, I got LB's Greg answering some mailbag questions on Friday. Colin and I will be back at it with our series reaction show. As always, go check out Skybox Sports Picks once again. Go see my man LB's Greg. He'll tell you about all the specials on Friday, but we got one running for subscribers on the newsletter, as we always do. Go take full advantage of that. It's grueling season. It's baseball season. Uh, Everybody have a safe and happy Wednesday. And uh, I'll catch you Sunday, dude. All right, man. Everybody take it easy.